Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Middlesex and former Berkshire all-rounder, Martin Anderson. So Martin, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast tonight. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to chat about all things county cricket. I have to ask, mate, how has your day been so far? Yeah, it's been all right. I spent a day uh, doing some work experience at the moment. So, day in the city, an insurance company. So, that's why I pushed you back to six this evening. So, that's why I've been up to today. Fair enough, a busy day then. Not just a, a rest day, a relaxing day. But how's it been actually since the off-season? I'm guessing that that work experience has been taking up a lot of your time. But have you been up to anything else since the the season's finished uh apart from the end of seasons uh do's and things like that uh just on holiday to lovely sunny wales for two weeks <laughs> to uh snowdonia and to the brecon beacons with a much better half um and then since then yeah just work experience in the city for now i'm in week three which is very different to the cricketing life yeah, I can imagine it is but i'm guessing your cricket will have set you up quite well in that regard in terms of the busyness of the schedule in that insurance company as well? Uh, yeah, it's not been too challenging to settle into a nine-to-five. Well, that is excellent to hear, Martin. And obviously, again, thanks for coming on after that work experience today. Much appreciated because we have got a lot to talk about in tonight's episode. So just for the, the newer listeners out there, for those who aren't aware how the County Cricket Podcast actually works, I'll be talking to Martin about his early cricketing memories then, of course, a large part of tonight's discussion will focus on the mighty Middlesex County Cricket Club. And then we shall end today's episode for what seems like the first time in ages with a teammate segment. I've missed doing teammates, so fantastic to bring it back for episode 202 here on TCCP tonight. But, Martin, before we get into all of that good stuff then, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of the Martin Anderson cricketing tale. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this sensational game? Uh, for me, it was a, quite a simple start. I think you describe myself as an 05 baby um, from the classic 2005 Ashes. I'm sure that's a story that's similar to quite a few people on the podcast before. But yeah, just school friend was around here during the summer holidays that year. We started, yeah, he said I should watch some cricket and picked up from there and then he got me to join the mighty Reading Cricket Club, the home of cricket. Um, and yeah, just loved it from there. Well, it's a lovely journey into the game and it does come up an awful lot here on the podcast. Pretty much every single episode for people between the ages of 25 and 30. I think that series really was the one. It was the catalyst which got them into the game of cricket and I always ask this as a follow-up question. It's one of my favourite questions to ask on the podcast. But if you could travel back in time to the summer of 2005 and relive just one day from that iconic test series between England and Australia, which day would you choose and why? Good question. Um, do I remember specific days? Um, what was the day when... Harmson, Hooli Nickoff down leg with a diving catch by Garen Jones. But I remember watching that one. The last day, Edge Baston. Yeah, that would be the one, you know, more than me. But yeah, that was a good day to watch. I think we just watched like an hour of a session and then played in the garden and then repeated that. So. <laughs> Who was Kasparic in that situation? Oh, hopefully not me, I don't think. <laughs> what, a, what a memory that is, though. I mean, unfortunately for myself, I can't say that I watched that live. 2005 was literally the series before I started getting into cricket. My first series was the 2009 Ashes. So I only got to experience the great escape in Cardiff with uh, Monty and Jimmy yeah. at Sapphire Gardens. But that 2005 series, some extraordinary games of cricket. You know, right from the get-go, you had Glenn McGrath at Lords. I know England lost the Test match, but he, him taking his 500th wicket, that of Marcus Drasgothic. Then you had Edgebaston, the closest Ashes match of all time, a two-run victory for England. 
And then as the series just ebbed and flowed and England started to believe and the country got Ashes fever, yeah, just it created this perfect storm for one of the best test series of all time. And in your opinion, Martin, would you say it's the best Ashes series ever that you've seen? Yeah, comfortably in that I've watched. So, yeah, probably a foil for that to be my first one. I probably didn't quite know what was going on, really. And most of the time, it was probably a lot more boring than that. So, it's probably quite lucky. Yeah, in the years that have followed, we've had some, some pretty rough ones, haven't we? I think 2013-14, that was particularly horrible. And then, obviously, the, the last Ashes series as well. Yeah, not enjoyable times for us as England Test fans. But fingers crossed, 2023 brings more of the same. I think we've got almost 20 years now unbeaten against Australia on home soil. So fingers crossed the boys can keep that record intact heading into the next series. But Martin, talking of the Ashes and talking of international cricket, that brings me beautifully onto my next question, which is about your influences and your idols in those early years. Did you have any role models, any particular cricketers in either domestic cricket or indeed international cricket beyond that, that you looked up to? in those early years, per se? Well, I think it follows on quite nicely from, from what we've sort of talked about, but it's uh, maybe a bit of a cliche, but Flintoff and Peterson and that with the woodworm bats was a woodworm bat, you know, torch. Did you have one? What was it? Woodworm torch. I think that was one of my first bats. So there'd be, obviously Peterson used the torch, but yeah, those two really... Wow. Well, I like those shouts, first and foremost. Flintoff and Peterson, two outstanding. England, Crickters and Woodworm, what a company. What an iconic image of that yeah. series as well. Ian Bell had one as well, didn't he, in, uh, in his early England days? Every chance. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, unfortunately, I think they've gone out of business nowadays. Or they, No, in fact, they haven't gone out of business. They're still here in, in the Midlands, but they're in Redditch in Worcestershire. So if anyone wants a Woodworm Bats... You know where to find them, but yeah, back in the mid two thousands though, they were the bat, weren't they? Definitely, hundred percent. And this will be a tough question, Martin, but feel free to answer it however you f- you see fit, basically. But if you could have a one hour chat, let's say a podcast almost, with either Freddie Flintoff or Kevin Peterson, who would you choose and why? Uh, uh, Flintoff. Yeah, just because it's got it's got a lot on. It's quite an interesting bloke. Yeah, fair enough. I think I would also choose Flintoff. I'm not sure that a conversation would be too good between me and Kevin Peterson. I don't think <laughs> a lot a lot of differences in a cricketing sense there. I'm guessing. No comment. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be honest, I, I don't agree with a lot of what KP says in terms of county cricket, but I think in terms of his cricketing journey, that would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Definitely. Remarkable. Yeah, in terms of, you know, the England days, and he he was an outstanding player. Outstanding cricketer. What have your thoughts on him outside of the game? You can't deny his talent. No, he's a phenomenal player. And again, this is going to be a tough question. Would you say in terms of natural ability, the best that you've ever seen? Yeah, some of that, well, it's definitely up there. Some of the things he can do, no one else can. Definitely got springs to mind, but yeah, ridiculous. He's up there, isn't he? I, I just think back to, obviously there was that knock at the Oval in the 2005 Ashes. But then there's also the, the 100 against Sri Lanka in Colombo, which was ridiculous. So the double 100 against India away there. That's another one. Which is, yeah. Unbelievable. And in fact, Martin, before we get on to heading back to your journey, actually, and we talk about <laughs> national county cricket, I know this is a, a very rogue question, but in terms of, of cricket history, what do you say, this can only be county cricket or indeed international cricket, but what do you say is your favourite ever innings? Is there one that particularly stands out among the rest, or would you say there's been, been quite a few over the years? Uh, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot to pick from, isn't there? Um, well, I think... Stokes is a heading me was a joke. <laughs> Don't quite know what happened there. <laughs> no, I'm not sure anyone can still. And then I thought Coley, like, it's very recent. So, but Coley's in his the other day against Pakistan. Pakistan. I just don't know how you do that. 
no, it, shots like they were so far away from winning the game. And yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. King um, Curly for a reason, though, isn't he? My, my cricketing history before 2005 isn't all that, but I'm sure there's a, a lot of innings that, that would, um, you know, could probably get close to eclipsing them too. Well, there are, but that's the beauty of the game. It's subjective. And we all have our different favourites. We all have our, our different iconic knocks that we remember. And that Ben Stokes knock, I will never, ever forget where I was for that. I was at Edgbaston watching Warwickshire lose to Northamptonshire. So I will never forget that game. It was my friend Max's first ever cricket game. He didn't really know what was going on, to be honest. But <laughs> it was a great day for England. And I'll always remember from that game, people started just filtering out of the seats at Edgbaston. So I think there was a crowd of around about 8,000 in initially. But as the, the game started going away from Warwickshire, people started going you know, to the bars and the, the TV screens. And then as soon as Stokes hit that winning four, there's just a massive roar. And I think all the players knew exactly what happened as well. I think there were a few fist pumps on the field. But do you remember where you were for that day, Martin? Do you remember your location uh, then? Yeah, I, I do. Um, not as exciting. Uh, I was uh, on the sofa in the Middlesex Cricket House in Edgware with a, with a back injury recovering from an operation. So got me through. It was, uh, yeah, that, that and the, you know, the World Cup that year were, well, good. It was good TV. Oh, it was cracking TV. And again, who knows, in 10, 15 years' time, we could be having the same conversations almost in a 2005 Ashes-like sense, couldn't we, in terms of that inspiring yeah, of the next so. generation? Yeah, it's quite remarkable. That's the power of cricket, though. Well, that is why we love it. You'll be on podcast number 5,000. So. <laughs> I probably will at this rate. Goodness me. Yeah, long way off that mark at the moment, though. And goodness me, I'm... Already got a terrible hairline enough as it is. I'll probably be bald by episode 5,000 if we ever reach it. But who knows, Martin? One day. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Depending on how the podcast goes. But heading back to our conversation about your cricketing journey, Martin. Something I always love talking about here on the podcast are the national counties. They're a really underrated and almost at times underappreciated part of the English domestic cricketing system. And a lot of your time in those early days was spent playing for Berkshire in the National County. So in terms of those experiences, in terms of that time with that county setup, how important was that time with Berkshire in terms of the next stages of your cricketing journey and how in- integral was it to your developments as a cricketer? Well, I think it was massively important. It was probably, yeah, some of the... Like, yeah, but like best, most enjoyable cricket, you know, you're ever going to play really with people your age from, yeah, who you just like from different schools, etc. You're never going to meet any other way and play with them. And as a minor county, we probably felt we we're trying to punch up as much as possible, like, which, yeah, we, we did. We, we were quite. No, as most teams are, you know, you feel quite good, and it was it was a nice time. Yeah, I played every year until I was about fifteen, I think, at, at Berkshire in terms of the, the proper age group stuff. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was good. <laughs> in terms, yeah, I feel the opportunities that gave me as an rounder where I could, yeah, do both as much as I could. It's massively important for my development as a player. 100% and, and that's lovely to hear because I've got a lot of time for the National Counties and we'll always give them a shout out here on the podcast. And in terms of those days with Berkshire, what do you say was your highlight? What do you say was your favourite moment from your time with that county? Uh, I think it was just... I could, like, just bit of chaos on like under 11 tour I think it was to like Taunton or something just yeah people just being silly but it was good well no that's good to hear Martin and they're always nice aren't they cricket tours always produce some fantastic memories and glad to hear that you enjoyed your time in the national county setup that's really really nice to hear and from those days with Berkshire we now pick up the conversation with the mighty Middlesex the Saxes as they're known in county cricket proper. 
So how did that opportunity first present itself? Because from, from our prior research, you've been with the county since around the age of 13, if I'm not mistaken. So how did that time with the Saxes first present itself? Um, so my, my Barch coach was a guy called Mark Allen, who his, I think he just had some contacts with Middlesex. And I think there was sort of, those there was the early bridges of a relationship between Berkshire and Middlesex. And yeah, I remember playing a game against Middlesex at Merchant Taylors, which I play a lot of the youth cricket out of, and played quite well. And then I think at the end of that year, I was invi- invited, to, I think it's called the, like the EPP pathway for sort of like for the yeah, 13 to 15 year olds. And we first travelled up to Finchley from Reading, which is a bit of a commute <laughs> for my for my mum. But yeah, she did me in solid there. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, did that for a couple of years. And then after the Bunbury year, so what's that, 15, then I properly joined the academy, the academy for like the, the full academy and did that for three years. And yeah, moved to, like, to the age group stuff there. And in terms of those days with the academy, can you name some of the players that you played alongside? I know that a lot of this Middlesex group nowadays almost banded together in those years. So who are some yeah. of the names that we should be aware of in that group? Well, Brian Higgins was year one. He was just finishing. And he's also from Bar- like obviously from Zimbabwe, but played at Berkshire as well. Um, Max Holden, Robbie White um, were on the academy. Um, last. <laughs> um, George Scott who went to Costa um, Tom Les who is at Costa um, but he went, he went, went to school down Somerset so was, wasn't there as much as, as some of the others there just to name a few um, Ethan was actually after me so I didn't I wasn't on the academy with him yeah, because he joined sort of into last year. But yeah, there's quite a lot, you know, quite a lot of us. So it's quite nice to play together as a group. I imagine it is. It's almost like the the Sussex lads down in Hove. A lot of those guys have have been together since the age group system. And in terms of those names, we've had quite a few of those on the pod. We've had Robbie on. We've had, I mean, it's been quite boring. <laughs> getting in the the jabs nice and early. We're not even on the teammate segment. At the yes. moment, Martin, wait until we get onto that. But uh, no, we've had Ethan yeah. on, we've had Robbie on, Tom Lace. The good bunch down in, in Middlesex, aren't they? Banter <laughs> aside, it's a good bunch. <laughs> yeah. So. It is indeed, and we'll talk a lot more in detail about those particular players as the podcast progresses. But before we talk about your Middlesex debut, I just wanted to ask about the Middlesex Academy. How would you describe the actual setup? Because we've mentioned there those names, the likes of Ryan Higgins, the likes of Robbie White, Tom Lace, George Scott, Ethan Bamby yourself. They've produced a lot of very good players over the years. So what, in your opinion, makes that setup just so successful? A uh, combination of things. I think our, our coaches at the time were very inspired, or are still inspired, but were very inspired at that time. And it felt like they could, they probably felt like they could make it. A difference but they also gave a lot of time and a lot of space um like to to work on our game and a lot like a lot of time making sure like put an effort put into you as a person to help you with like your schoolwork to sort of take for me definitely to take care of that so that I could train as much as possible but they you know, they're just quite creative with the environment it's quite intense environment probably at times looking in if you're to look at it but definitely just like good good coaching a lot of time given and then yeah good good group of I guess if like definitely a few key people sort of pushing the standards from like the players point of view as well sort of can drag everyone else along they certainly can and whatever they're doing down there it's it's working, isn't it? Quite clearly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it can keep working, and then, yeah, and yeah, we can keep playing together as a group. Absolutely. And talking 
of the Middlesex First Eleven, then Martin. Let's talk about your debut because that must have been a tremendously special moment. Obviously, a lot of your time spent in the National Counties and then coming up through that EPP and the academy set up at Middlesex. What can you remember from your first team debut for the Saxes? And again, how did that opportunity first present itself? When did you find out that you'd be making that debut? I think my debut was, it was a T20 game. So um, I, I, I don't think the competition had gone necessarily that well for the first team. So I, I think, yeah, I got the call the day before just say, yeah, you're going to play tomorrow, which is very, like, that's as much time as you're ever going to get, really, if you're not in and around a team to prepare to play. Um, yeah, and I remember breaking it all the way down to Hove because they had, time, you know, Tyler Mills, Jordan at the time, uh, Joffre Archer, Briggs and Rashid Khan, I think, was playing. So, you know, not a bad bowling attack. Um and yeah, the bat's obviously not too bad either. Um, so I remember, yeah, bricking it to be honest. Um, but what do I remember? Uh, I bowled one over the first over, which actually went all right, could have gone worse. And then I don't know why, but I tried to reverse around Joffre Archer and got the poles blown out. So it can happen. Yeah, that's why did why you attempt that shot? Thought he was going to bowl Yorker. Thought I wasn't strong enough to hit him back over his head for six. So it's a shot that worked against other bowlers, but yeah, probably not against him. There's a bit of a difference, though, isn't there? Joffre Archer. I mean, goodness me, what what's he like to face? Because that's something which myself and a lot of cricket fans probably will never have a chance to face. um, One ball, so I can't really. So I can't really talk, can I? So. Well, you can in terms of the, in terms of the feelings, though. In terms of the emotions, what was it like before he came into bowl? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there must have been some uh, intimidation. It's more on the yeah on the way to the game and stuff like that. Imagining like you know what could happen. Maybe not everyone's like that, but that can happen. Um, but actually, in the game in the T20, you're not as intimidated because you don't really have the chance to be. Fair enough. I suppose it is too frenetic a format, isn't it? And yeah, lots out of your control in a wider game of cricket. Yeah. Yeah, as we'll probably discuss in due course. But before we do talk about the, the tougher aspects of the game, Martin, I just wanted to talk about your, your your county championship debuts as well, because this is a very interesting story. Right, first and foremost, your, your proper county championship debut was actually for Derbyshire, wasn't it? So how yeah. did that opportunity come about in the first place? Wasn't it due to... The retirement of, of Sean Irvine, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, th- I think, yeah, he sacked it in to play golf. <laughs> think, he's done well for himself, and he said, yeah, yeah. And I just, Tom Lace was actually up there playing at the time. So I just ended up sharing flat with him in somewhere in Derbyshire, um, in Derby, sorry. Um, and then, yeah, I think so. Dave Houghton was our batting coach in Middlesex and then he moved across to be director of cricket at Derby. And then, yeah, I didn't look like I was going to be playing at Middlesex anytime soon, so got an opportunity up there, which was nice. And then, yeah, bowled right. Bowled all right. Do you remember your exact figures? You say bowled all right. These are fantastic figures on your championship debut. Do you remember the exact... Totals? Uh, it's not for something in four for 25, I think. Yeah, spot on. Not yeah. for 16 to be exact in the first innings, but four for 25. Do you remember the the wickets? No, I don't do that to me. Sorry. I remember we did a, we were doing some like the press deck Middlesex, and I think Ethan listed them off or something like that. And I had no idea, which is bad. I know we're playing Glamorgan. Which is a good start. <laughs> I knew how I was playing. Um, but yeah, I can't necessarily remember the wickets. It's bad. Is that bad? Probably. Not really. I don't think it is. I mean, it, it was a few years ago now, September 2018. But I'll give you a bit of a reminder then, Martin. Connor Thank Brown, you. 
was your first one in the yeah. United Championship. Then Graham Wagg, he's yeah. played for a lot of counties, obviously county veteran. I think he's now in the national counties with Shropshire, if I'm not mistaken. Then you got Rory Smith, and your final one was Tim van der Hoekton. So not a bad four wickets there at all. Happy days. <laughs> Happy days indeed. Not bad taking four for on Champo debut. And then a few days later, you're making your debut for the Saxes of Middlesex. So talk us through that. When did you find out that you'd be making your debut for your home county? I presume you know the story behind this. I do. I've read the article on the cricketer. Very very good. (laughs) It was, yeah, I got a call from Gus the night before. I was supposed to be playing North Hants, I think, for Derbyshire. Um, But yeah, I got a call the night before saying Tim Murta's got some issue with his tooth. So you might, you know, might be in for the next game. And then, yeah. Woke up at five and got the call. Okay. So I was driving down from Northampton in the morning on the M1, had a little shunt with someone, which was nice. Um, probably distracted, which was not great. <laughs> and then, yeah, all the way down to Lords. I think it might have been out before lunch, so that was a good start. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, obviously, lovely, lovely day. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What was that like? Because I know that you'd made your your championship debut a few days before for Derbyshire, but this was your championship debut for Middlesex. And let's be honest, as a Middlesex cricketer, maybe even as a county cricketer, there's no better place to debut than the home of cricket is there. Lord's Cricket Ground is tremendously special. What are your thoughts and feelings on the day? I know obviously you had that little bit of a, a shunt on the motorway. That isn't ideal. Before a game, yeah. it's not exactly perfect pre-match prep, but in terms of the thoughts and emotions, heading out onto that field as a Middlesex player, what was that like? Probably not as strong as they would have been if I had more time to sort of pick it up. Um, so, yeah, just all happened quite quickly. Um, but yeah, very nervous to you know get out there and play and bowl for the first time at Lords and bat the first time at Lords, but. Yeah, it was all probably a little bit of a blur, really. Like quite quick, you know, pass quickly. Which, to be honest, is understandable. It's a tremendously special occasion and, you know, it's the dream, isn't it? In particular for Middlesex fans, making your debut at the home of cricket does not get any better than that. And I do have to ask, do you remember any of your scores from that day and in your, your wickets? Um, I might have got naught or one. You actually got one more run than that. You got two. Nice. It's very good. It's good for me. Um, I got Haino Kunal, probably the best ball I bowled in first class wicket for my first wicket. Go on, take us through that. I know the listeners will want to know that. You can't describe it as the best ball you've bowled and, and not well, give us more detail. Angled in, swung away a bit and hit top of off, which doesn't happen very often. So it was there. Yeah, Alan Shearer celebration and we're off. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a nice moment. I can imagine it was. And I know this is a pretty difficult question because there's been some pretty good moments over the years in a Middlesex shirt. But would you say that is your proudest moment from your time with the Saxes so far or in the years that have followed as something surpassed that? I'm guessing this season getting promoted would have been incredibly special. But from an individual perspective, would you say your, your debut's up there in terms of those personal milestones and experiences? Yeah, th- yeah, definitely. It's definitely up there, I think. But in terms of, yeah, like proud moments, obviously getting getting promoted as a squad this year. It's like, you know, since I've played, we haven't been in top division. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. So... To be, be even though I only played five games, to feel like a part of that, it's quite nice. Well, that is good to hear. And yeah, we'll talk about that season in a little bit more detail at some point later on in the episode. But aside from the highlights, obviously cricket, unfortunately, isn't that yeah. simple as it's neither is life, to be honest. 
in general, we have our ups and downs, our peaks and troughs, ebbs and flows, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, life does provide some pretty bad moments at times alongside the good, and it's all about riding that wave over the course of the years. So, Martin, on the flip side, I suppose, aside from the proud moments, what do you say has been your toughest moments in a Middlesex shirt to date? Uh, the ones comfortable, which is, um, yeah, this year, almost setting a world record in the wrong direction as a bowler. At Hove against Pajara and Allsop just had, you know, had been on toast. It's, you know, to bring up triple figures in a one-day game is not a, a nice feeling. Um, so, that was, yeah, probably haven't quite confronted that one yet, even though it's been a few months. But, yeah, not easy. Um, others, we, like, as a unit, as a batting unit last year in the championship, Things weren't going so well. I just remember feeling like things couldn't get worse, and then they, they kept getting worse. <laughs> and just dealing with that, playing game, 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 fielding loads, and not back, you know not batting that much, and yeah, dealing dealing with a run of low scores, and spending a lot of time bowling and fielding. Just it wasn't any. Yeah, the low point there was probably getting hit in the nuts by a bass. We had. 15 minutes off the pitch for rain then just definitely shouldn't have walked back out walked back out first ball blast my shin off walking off for naught I remember being yeah that was a particularly low point where yeah and they were obviously they're completely smashing us in the game as well um but yeah it's like obviously they're quite recent but they, you know there are moments all the way through your career like yeah I remember Bunbury didn't go particularly well for me with the ball obviously that's 11 years ago now but there are moments where you like do you, is it something you want to keep doing when it's not going the way you want it to go or yeah and sometimes you learn sometimes you don't but yeah well if you're comfortable to discuss this obviously Martin go into as much or as little detail as possible but what does keep the fire burning for you personally in terms of that motivation, in terms of that inner drive, what drives Martin Anderson to have those setbacks and keep coming back to this game? What is it that inspires you within to continue playing professional cricket? It's a very big question. Um, I, I think, like, I don't know whether a lot of other professional pieces would agree, but when you find something that when you're young that you feel like you're good at, to a certain extent, <laughs> it, it that in itself can sometimes be enough, and just wanting to get as good as possible at something, and just that drive, you know, that drive to win games, and that it's it's not necessarily too much more than that. Without, yeah, not being too cliche, but yeah, it's not just yeah, trying to be as good as possible, really. Probably maybe slightly perfectionist trait with it. Well, that's going to be my follow-up question. Do you think you are a perfectionist? With some things, definitely not with everything. In terms yeah. of being, being happy with performances and things like that, definitely. So, well, yeah. my follow-up to that, because I've got to be honest, at times I'm guilty of it. I think a lot of people are in terms of chasing perfection. And one thing which can be tremendously damaging is overthinking, isn't it? And it's something that I think we're all guilty of. I certainly have my fair share of moments like that. And in a game like cricket, which is so mentally and psychologically focused, it's incredibly harmful, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned about that particular bowling display against Sussex. When you think about it, that's out of your control, right? And you can only bowl the ball as well as you can on that day. And yes, those figures obviously aren't ideal, but again, it's out of your control. Allsop and Pajar were just hitting it that well. So... In terms of yourself, Martin, first and foremost, are you an overthinker? And secondly, in terms of mitigating the effects of overthinking, how do you go about doing that? How do you minimise the damage caused by it? Um, answer the first question, definitely yes. Like, as many yeses as you possibly can get, I reckon. That's, well, yeah, one of my, yeah, 
probably b- bigger issues on when I'm actually you know playing and training and things like that. Definitely overthink performances round and round and round they go, like as I'm sure they do for a lot of people. Um, in terms of dealing with it, have you got any answers? <laughs> I, I think like there are kind of cliches and I'm not very good at practicing them, but anyways, I can try and get in the fight a bit more or try and get in the battle instead of being in my own head or just chat, you know, chatting to someone or just that sort of thing can help. But yeah, definitely like one of the bigger areas I need to work on. If like, I feel like, yeah, could lead to massive improvement in performances. We're so, certainly not alone in that. It's so difficult. So. No, I know. And, uh, and it's an incredibly difficult question. And uh, again, it, it's something that we do have to talk about though, isn't it? Because cricket is such a, a psychologically demanding game. And as I said, I'm guilty of it as well. And I think a lot of people in particular in the professional circuit are in the exact same boat because we all want things in our control. But unfortunately, it's not the case, is it? And, and cricket, when it's not in your control, it really does kick you when it's down. When you are down in cricket, you have really, really low lows, don't you? It's not as though you go from an incredible century one minute and then that form continues forever. You'll get a few low scores, then you'll bowl badly. You might drop a catch and it's like it just spirals out of control, doesn't it? It's more when it happens in like a day, especially as an all-rounder. You can, yeah, feel like bowling really well and then walk out and, you know, kick one first up. Or, yeah, the ups and downs, I feel like, can be even more exaggerated as an all-rounder. Why is that? Well, it's not a great attitude for for me to have, but if you have a day, you can have a double bad day. (laughs) Obviously, you can have the best of best days if both skills go right, but... Probably more. It's an understandable answer. I mean, I, I can't relate to that particularly much because I'm a terrible batter. Absolutely shocking. Okay, I don't even have a double digit averaging in club cricket, let alone any level beyond that. But in terms of bowling, you know, even at, at village level, when I have a bad performance, eats away at me, really frustrates the hell out of me. But again, it's all moving yeah. on to the next game, isn't it? But I think deep down, yeah. because we're all so competitive. We just want to achieve as best as we can. And in a game like cricket, it is like you have a bad performance and then it might steamroll and steamroll and steamroll. And yeah, it's just important not to get caught up in that vicious cycle. And in terms of Middlesex, if I'm not mistaken, I've spoken with the likes of Ethan about this. I've spoken with Robbie White about this particular scheme that you got at the club. But you have a club psychologist, don't you, with which to discuss all of this? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. We do sort of on a part-time-ish basis. But yeah, if you want want to pick up the phone, you can have a chat. Which is good. And I think that a lot more counties need to look at that because it's an area which, to be honest, I I do think, I think we know quite a bit about, but I still think we're only on the surface level, aren't we? I think there was a podcast, I don't know what it was quite on, but Ethan actually sent me it. It was uh, with Peter Moores and the Nottinghamshire psychologist and that was yeah I've listened to all of it but it's a good lesson I think I'll have to give that a listen let me know after the pod or yeah 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 I'll definitely give that a listen because uh, as you can probably tell Martin massively into the psychological aspects as well I think it is fascinating at the same time it's a massive shame though because you know uh, in an ideal world we wouldn't be experiencing these massive highs and lows but unfortunately it is a part and parcel of the game that we call cricket and you know when you love something right you are going to have those moments where it eats away at you aren't you because you want things to go well you want them to be as best as possible and unfortunately it doesn't always work out that way but that's life and that is indeed cricket as well but without getting too profound I feel really quite I feel very philosophical on tonight's episode we don't usually get that deep on the podcast so apologize to yourself Martin and the listeners no, it's, I'm equally to blame. Honestly, I'll get off on a tangent on that and I will keep going, but we'll 
we'll divert off the, the tracks just for the time being. Because something else I wanted to ask, actually, probably could have mentioned this before, but it is what Middlesex means to you, Martin. In terms of that badge, when you think of Middlesex County Cricket Club, they are one of the massive, massive clubs in England and Wales. You play at Lords. They're, what, 11 times or 12 times county champions over the course. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Either way, they're a tremendously special club and a very successful club. What does it mean for you to wear that sax on your shirt and represent Middlesex County Cricket Club? For me, it's, it's, most of it revolves around the group and the like the the people that I've sort of, you know they've been involved with a long time and wanting to do do the people I play with proud and win and you know work together well as a team you know show what we can do as a group with like you know with the people that have been through the academy and also you know the people that of you know they're obviously going to have their professional sport there from outside of that but we're all sort of just working together so for me it's more about the team and the people I'm playing with and you know you know representing them as best as I can and then the the club as a whole you know becoming a more tight-knit club I reckon I think there's been a bit of a push towards that so it becomes easier to think about representing them as well when you've uh play you know got to know people better and things like that of course and that is lovely to hear i imagine that'll be music to the ears of the saxes faithful tuning into today's episode and yeah great to hear and it is a lovely bunch i must say we've had a lot of the middlesex players on the podcast always have time to come on for a bit of cricket chat so yeah big up to middlesex not just producing good cricketers but also very nice cricketers as well can't speak for myself but most most of them are quite nice they are indeed, and Martin, you could not have set me up any better, to be honest, for our next segment, which, funnily enough, <laughs> revolves around your Middlesex teammates, because this is our TCCP teammate segment. So for those who don't know how this works, and it has been a long time, I do apologise, listeners, we Sorry, are bringing it back. Is there a jingle? There isn't, unfortunately. I know. I'm sorry, Martin. I'm so sorry. Uh, I've probably disappointed the new listeners as well, but we don't quite have the budget for that just yet. If anyone wants to be a sponsor, let us know and write us a jingle for teammates. <laughs> Get in touch using uh, <laughs> either our Twitter or our Instagram social media handles. But for those who don't know how this particular segment works, essentially I've got 10 questions in front of me, which all revolve around the Middlesex teammates that Martin, you share a dressing room with at the home of crickets. So, Martin Anderson, are you ready for TCCP teammates? I'm not sure. We'll give it a go. <laughs> give not it an attempt. Time. It gets off to a pretty strong start, though, so this might actually set the tone for the rest of this segment. But our first question for tonight's episode, Martin Anderson, who is the teacher's pet at Middlesex? Who is always hanging around the coaches at the home of cricket? Max Holden. Any particular reason why? I think the question says it all. <laughs> Just to be two shoes. Yeah, maybe it's a bit harsh, but yeah. Anybody else in that category or just, just Max? Uh, I'll go with just Max. Okay, fair enough. Sensible. Don't throw anyone else under the <laughs> bus for that particular question. But <laughs> moving on to our second one then. This is quite an interesting one. Who's Mr. Hard as Nails in that Middlesex dressing room? Who's the dressing room hard man, per se? Uh, I, I wouldn't say we're a very hard uh, dressing room as a group, but Mark Stoneman and I think as our resident northerner, I'd say there was a moment this year where I, it was a bit, I wouldn't, yeah, I guess I'm not saying it's a great thing, but it was quite funny where someone, sledged, a fan sledged him and after he got out, not knowing who this fan was, all he could do, he just went and sat next to the fan in the crowd <laughs> just, just like you got something to say I was like it was a good effort I wouldn't be doing that <laughs> which game was that? Uh, I think it might have been Durham at Lords uh, it could have been another one but that was yeah I think who, yeah 
that was pretty good display. <laughs> yeah, fair play to Mark Stoneman. Definitely sent a message with that particular <laughs> response, didn't he? <laughs> Goodness me. Don't think I've heard that before on the podcast. So that's also yeah, I think fans want crowd participation, or you know, oh sorry, player participation, but probably not in that way. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't recommend sledging Mark Stoneman then the next time you're down in Lords or next time Middlesex are at your home grounds. But moving on to our next question, then Martin, this is an interesting one because I've heard some things about one particular member of the Middlesex dressing room who this might apply to. But who's got the strangest pre-game ritual? Oh my god. I already know. I don't know any rituals. What about Sam Robson's? I must have missed this. I'm, I can't, I'm not very observant. I'm in my own bubble and I'm getting ready to play. Maybe I, I wouldn't say it's superstition, but yeah, maybe he is. Oh, fair enough. What about what about yourself then, Martin? Do you have any rituals, anything you do before a game, anything to get in the zone or just in case I get the kit on and, and walk out to the middle. Yeah, it's too much effort. So I used to have a lot, but now it's just, yeah, just play. Maybe I just kill right side first, I think. Just not completely, but like right, right shoe, left shoe, right pad, left pad. I don't know. Just sort of happens that way. That's just no a habit, reason. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's not really routine. I'll tell you someone who by far had the weirdest ritual. And unfortunately, he's no longer in county cricket, but Charlie Thurston, he had a really, really bad one, right? And I don't mean that in... He was, in a, he was, a big, he was on our academy as well. Cracking player. Honestly, I'd love to see him back. Genuinely, I think Charlie Thurston, very underrated, but with I his... Was, I didn't know he was done. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but fingers crossed he comes back. But when it came to his ritual, he would leave it right until the last minute, yeah, literally yeah. until the next wicket to get ready. He Is did that, that true? He was like, yeah... All the way How through. Did he do that? Well, just probably hated pad rash so much, and it just takes t- ten seconds to put your pads on. Probably not in T20s. You might have given that a miss. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I couldn't do that in any format. As soon as well, I bat at number ten. As soon as the seventh wicket goes down, we're All getting up. padded up. Yeah, I'm there. I'm, I'm ready to come in next to bat. Pinch hitter, hint, hint, skipper for the next season, yeah. but. Yeah, I, I just could not do that at all. But moving on to our next question then, Martin. This is always a classic on the podcast. <laughs> Who is the dressing room DJ at Lords? And what is their go-to choice of song? Uh, well, there's, there's a difference. Pre-game is John Simpson. It's like, he, yeah, so... He, oh, I thought he, yeah, in general, it would have been him. But now, post-game, Luke Holman sort of takes it on, I think. Bit mixture of him and Max, but mainly Luke, I'd say. What's the I genre? Wrong. Luke is more more my sort of stuff, I would say. Well, I guess bit of mix and match, but some house, some other stuff. Whereas Max is maybe more, I don't know, like George Ezra, Poppy, Arsenal, Arsenal songs, that sort of thing. He plays Arsenal songs in the dressing room. <laughs> Uh, he's getting a tough time here, that's what I said. Does he ever play North London forever? Yeah. Oh, what a tune. I say that as a fellow Arsenal fan, so yeah, big up to yourself, Max. The uh, <laughs> uh, Arsenal document being watched around that point. <laughs> Great series, by the way. I know it's not cricket, but all or nothing. <laughs> oh, it's outstanding. Honestly, could watch it again. It's a very easy watch. I think I've watched it a couple of times now. Might watch it a third time. Especially the the <laughs> the Brentford game with Arteta in that dressing room. Flipping heck. That's one of the best moments in sports documentary history. But <laughs> moving on to our next one. This is my personal favourite on the podcast because you get to throw at least one person under the bus. And I'm not going to spoil who it might be, but this person has been thrown under the bus a lot of times by the Middlesex boys. But... Who are the best and worst dressed at Middlesex County Cricket Club? Who has got the absolute best garms and who's got a dodgy choice of fashion? Best might be controversial, but I just think crackers, Joe. He just knows what he, he knows what he's doing. Some people would say he's the worst, but that's probably just my taste. Not smart or anything, just knows knows what he's doing. And worst, well, I'll probably be in there, but uh, Robbie White. 
owns five items of clothing and a pet, one pair of trainers. Probably him. I'm very surprised by that. I don't think Robbie's name's cropped up, to be honest, before. I think the person who has cropped up pretty much every single time, and actually I'd like to know your opinion there, Martin, uh, Tim Murta, dresses like the dressing room dad, apparently, from what I've yeah, heard. dad, so it's not too bad. But yeah, he, he tries hard. Bless him. Legend yeah. is Tim Murta. Unfortunately, takes far two wickets against my beloved Warwickshire, and also England when he took, what was it, five for... Five for 13 against us yeah. at Lawton in 2019. Yeah. yeah, I was there for that. The one day of the test match I was there for in England get bowled out for 86, so cheers for that, Mertz. <laughs> but but the best and worst dress then are Joe Cracknell and Robbie White. I don't think Robbie's going to thank you for that, Martin. Yeah, that's his fault. <laughs> the dress better. Fair enough. <laughs> Moving on to our next question then. This is an interesting one. This actually might have gone back to, to the discussion we were having beforehand, but who's the most likely to get timed out in that Middlesex dressing room. That's who takes the time. Most people get out get out there pretty quickly. But I feel like it could be Luke Holman just because there are a couple of times this year where didn't really have much in the way of kit on and he was like not next in, but like next, next in, but it was in one of those patches of play where it could happen in five minutes and just would be nowhere near having his kit on. So, yeah, that's my answer. Seems like an apt choice then for that particular that particular question. Luke Holman. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it never happens. I always say that as well as the follow-up. It'd be horrible to see someone get timed out. Have you ever seen it in, in any level before? No. I've heard it been asked for, but I've not seen it. Not, no. in, not in professional cricket, but like in, yeah, maybe it actually, yeah, it might be in professional cricket. It was the second team game this year, actually. Just someone, I think, yeah, just walked out so slowly and everyone wanted to, it was like the, in the last game of the season or something. So they're like, it's just time them out. <laughs> they didn't get done. Honestly, it's the one dismissal I would not wish upon my worst enemy. It must be so embarrassing getting timed out. Yeah, it wouldn't be good, would it? No. You'd never get over it. That, that'd that haunt you for the rest yeah, of your career as well. Yeah, you'd be padded up very early. Yeah. Oh, I hate even thinking about that. Fingers crossed it never happens to anyone out there, to be brutally honest. But moving on to our next one there, Martin. Another cricket-related one. Who's the biggest badger at Middlesex? Who really knows their stuff? about the game of cricket? Luke, Luke knows a lot, but Sam Robson probably knows also the most, those two. Sam, a few more niche, old, you know, older stuff. I like the sound of that. Yeah. I, like, I don't know whether a lot of it's just like taking the mick, but he just seems to come up with <laughs> some things. Um, and then Luke would probably... Yeah, be able to list you off ever like a lot of people's stats, probably. Yeah, we, we experienced that first hand on when he came onto the podcast. Knows this stuff, does Luke Holman. So nice little mix there of badgers. You got quite the set down in I don't I don't know what your level of cricketing knowledge is, but there was a guy I went to Leeds with called Christian Davis, who played for North Hans ten years ago, a couple of times. And he, his ability, just based off stats, pick any county cricketer and just based off not run, so it's too easy, but like, like sometimes just like economy, average, he'd just be able to tell you who it was. That's nuts. Like, you can do it, that off economy it, rate. It was phenomenal, his, like, his stats knowledge. Second song. Scary. Yeah, I don't think I could match that. I can yeah. match the averages at times. Like, for example, I know Sam Haynes' list day average, 58.54, highest of all time. Yeah. Does play it. I wish it's, uh, that's, that's cheating. Yeah. That's, that's true, actually, yeah. I'd have to think of another one. Oh, in fact, Martin, let me ask you, because this is one which um, I, I do actually have to mind, funnily enough, in terms of list day averages, uh, 
Yeah, I went downhill a long way this year. <laughs> it was 170 last year, I think, or something like that. 130. But yeah, I got out a few more times this year. I couldn't just knock it around it with it at the end. <laughs> Not bad though. 67.5, goodness me, 135 strike rate. Not too shabby at all. But Martin, our penultimate question then for today's teammate segments. Who is the dressing room joker? at Middlesex. Who's the funny man in that environment? I think Tim would say he'd want it. But uh, who I find the funniest is not necessarily the joker, is Sam Robson. I just find him hilarious. But Why is that? He's oh, just a funny bloke. Is it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah, t- Tim would probably be the pra- most practical joker. So. Yeah, I've heard a lot about his his pranks at times, Tim Murta. An 18-year-old in a 41-year-old's body. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how he's been described before. But you know what? You need characters like that and yeah, Tim Murta. definitely. Yeah, it's been a sad day when he retires, isn't it? He's been outstanding yeah. for Middlesex. He has been. Yeah, he has been indeed. Honestly, Tim, if you're listening, on the off chance that you are, sign a 10-year contract. We don't want to see you going anytime soon. As fans of county cricket, but our final question then for today's teammate segment. It has been ages since we have brought out this instant classic, the showstopper, the big piece to end the segment. Martin Anderson, who is the most likely in that Middlesex dressing room to appear on ITV's Love Island? Now, this would be without too much deliberation Jack Davies or Max Holden. One of the two. Both of them want it. Have they actually said that? Ah, in in passing. And then I think, yeah, maybe Luke would want it as well. Out of those three, if you could only choose one, if if it was up to you, right, let's say you've got the choice to choose between those three. (laughs) Who would be the best value on it? Yeah, who would you send off? Luke Holman comfortably would be the best (laughs) value on it. That would be good entertainment. It would indeed. I mean, obviously, if you're a Middlesex fan, you don't want him popping off halfway through the season to, what is it, go to Ibiza or Mallorca, wherever the Villa's based. But he's, he's such a funny bloke, Luke Holman. So, yeah, that'd be quite a nice shout. So, Luke Holman, most likely to go on Love Island. Let's see if it happens one of these days. Stranger things have happened in yeah. the world of crickets. But Martin Addison, we've got one more question then. Just to wrap up tonight's episode before we say our final goodbyes for the recording. And that revolves around the future. So obviously 2022, very good season for the Saxes in the county championship. Promoted into the first division for the first time since 2017. So I'm guessing that must be tremendously exciting from a player's perspective going into 2023. But from a team and an individual perspective, what do you want to achieve in the game of cricket heading into the next three, four Five years, per se. Well, from a team perspective, I think we just... We really want to cement, you know, and put our stamp on the division as much as possible and be there, you know, just compete as much as possible and who knows what we can achieve short-term, long-term, medium-term, whatever. And we definitely hope to compete a lot more in the short format, which... You know, ho- hopefully we can start doing as well. I think they're two quite clear goals for us as a squad, which is quite exciting. And then as an individual, it's going to be more competitive for spots now that you know, we're in the top division. But you know, push, push as hard as possible in that, play in the first team. And then aspirations are still, I, th- I think, you know, to play as a high, high standard as possible. So the dream is still to play for England. That's, yeah, simple as that. And you've got to be playing in the first team and ideally in Division 1 to be doing that. So that's my uh, pretty simple goals. Well, mine, honestly, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everyone here at TCCP wishing yourself and Middlesex nothing but the very best of luck heading into next season and beyond and keep those England aspirations. And I'll tell you why. Funny enough, it was a Middlesex player who came onto this podcast in 2021 and he mentioned his England aspirations. And a few weeks later, he was debuted against Pakistan in the ODIs. And that man was John Simpson. Yeah. So 
who knows? The dream never, ever give up on it. And you mentioned silverware as well. It has been a while since Middlesex have won some one-day silver. I think 1992 was the last time they won a List A trophy, and 2008 was the last time they won the, the T20 Cup. So, obviously, if the Saxes can pull that off, I think the fans would be very appreciative of that as yeah. well, heading into the next few years. But before we say our, our goodbyes and end today's recording, Martin, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything Absolutely like that? Not. Absolutely not. Not even the Instagram? No, definitely not. Stay All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Listeners, if you want to go and follow anything from today's episode, then follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course on YouTube as well. We will produce some video content over the course of this off-season on there, so feel free to check those out using the links in the podcast description below. But Martin, all that's left for me to say is a massive thank you for coming onto the pod. The last hour has just flown by. It's been an excellent conversation, and you're always welcome back here on the podcast in the future for a chat about all things cricket. And of course, to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.